what a privilege to be back together to hear the preaching of God's Word and to, uh, to grow together in the Lord. Thank you if you're here uh, on the live stream. We're so grateful to have you here. Thank you for your patience and, and grace during, out, during this entire time. We, we trust that God's uh, at work to do His will in all of our lives, and so we're grateful for what He's doing we have been in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is our third message in the book of Ecclesiastes. I am uh, very excited about this, uh, this study. I wish uh, that you could be there when I'm studying. I'm just finding uh, such personal help in my own soul as I study these things, and it's a real blessing from the Lord. So I hope it's encouraging to you. I do believe that uh, though uh, we didn't plan it this way. We did plan to do this, but um, what I'm very aware of, of this, this message from the entire book of Ecclesiastes is really very pertinent to everything we're experiencing today and all the challenges that we are facing. So let's look together at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13 through 26. I want to say a big thank you to Ron last week for doing such an excellent job and bringing the word so helpfully, uh, setting, uh, once again, just uh, opening the word of God. And so we're grateful, grateful to him, looking forward to hearing from Stephen uh, in the future. So we're, we're just blessed to have men that, that uh, are capable of preaching God's word and grateful for them. Today I want to talk about the subject, uh, and I call this the solution to soul sickness. The solution the soul sickness. Let's read from Ecclesiastes 2, verse 13. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Now keep in mind of where we're coming from here. Uh, the previous verses that Ron talked about last week, his Solomon's search for finding uh, truth. And there is more gain in light as just as there is more gain in light than darkness. The wise person that has eyes in his head but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten, how the wise die just like the fool, so I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil, which I did under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, full of sorrow. 
and his work as a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we, we're grateful to you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You use your word to speak to our hearts, often hearts that are sick, soul sick. Lord, we need you to come and help us. We need your presence today. We need you to come and illuminate your word so that it brings the very thing that you call for here, joy to our hearts. Lord, come today, help me in my weakness to share in a way that will be helpful and encouraging, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ultimately, what I want to say today is that fighting the good fight of faith pleases God and results in true wisdom and knowledge and joy in all you do. Joy in all you do. Last week, Ron gave an, a great illustration, and I, I could relate to it so much. He gave the illustration of life being like a power cord, or he used the example of a cord for your earbuds. Now, I don't know about you, but I have gotten in my truck before and decided I'm going to listen to something or I'm going to make a call, and so I need to have my hands-free stuff, and so I get my, my cord out and... Have you ever, I'm sure that you've probably been there. You thought you were so careful to put it in there and you get it out and the thing is so tangled, it's like, this is impossible. How does it get like this? And then you, you get it all done and you get done with it. You get home and you think, you think to yourself, this is what I think to myself. I'm going to wind this thing up and I'm going to be very careful. I must not have been very careful last time. So I'm going to be very careful put it back in there next time I come out and I just don't get it the thing is just tangled beyond and I'm trying to take it apart and it's it's just frustrating and and I thought of that illustration and I I thought you know in essence I thought well first of all I thought there must be a cord demon that his entire purpose in life is to mess up cords but I realized that what Koalath is saying here in this book what the preacher is saying is life is like a power cord try as you might it just gets messed up and you clean it up and it gets messed up again just when you think you've got it under control a virus comes up the economy tanks or politics intrude <laughs> whatever else comes into your life and what we're about to see is Colette's own challenge in how to deal with that we saw last week that Solomon had it all. We know that as Ron was going through all the different things Solomon tried. You know, it's, it's hard not to envy him just a little bit as you think about all the 
things that he had and the wisdom and the quantities of things and what he could do with it's it's hard to imagine sometimes yet in many ways like solomon really we can we we have as much in many ways to in, in, indulge our own desires think of it the homes that we live in digital everything better furniture we have climate control and when it comes to sex we have a virtual harem online Solomon would be shocked at some of the things. Riken, in his commentary, is talking about David Hubbard, a quote of David Hubbard's, where he said, Pleasure's advertising agency is much more effective than its manufacturing department. It's all advertised wonderful, but it doesn't produce. Greg Easterbrook, in his book, the paradise, the progress paradox, how life gets better when people feel worse. That's the name of the book. We have almost everything he would note today, except we have unhappiness with it. The more we get, the unhappier we get because we realize that we will never be able to have all the things that are available to us. In referring to Easterbrook, Riken in his book, in his Commentary said, maybe this helps us to explain why the 21st century is an age of anxiety. When more people struggle more with mental illness than ever before. This has been true throughout history. After visiting America in the 1830s, the French philosopher Alex de Tocqueville said this. He noticed a strange melancholy that haunted most Americans. He wisely concluded the complete joys of this world will never satisfy the heart. Koholeth, the preacher here, tried an experiment. When he woke up from his experiment, he woke up with a pleasure hangover. And he discovered something. He discovered his soul was sick. So I want to talk, first of all, today about the problem of soul sickness. Verse 12, he starts saying, wisdom is better than folly. Now, you have to remember, he has just gone through this whole process of trying every earthly pleasure you could try and discovered that it doesn't satisfy. And then he says, well, wisdom is better than folly. And he says, it's even better as light is better than dark. But subliminally, he realizes it's better. He just can't articulate why. He sought pleasure in every imaginable way, but he can't explain why wisdom is better. His problem was the reality of death. In his case, verse 14, he talks about this same event. Death happens to all. It's, in his mind, death just makes everything a hopeless exercise. In, He's talking without God in the picture at that moment. And do you realize, he, he's basically just saying, do, you do realize you're going to die, right? This is all coming to an end. We get all worked up with all the things going around us all day long, every day, and even worse now in this season. And the reality is, you do realize we're all going to die. That's where we're all headed. That's what he's saying here. Does even... Anyone remember the wise or the foolish is what he's saying. You know, in our culture, 
we don't think about death too much. It's not a popular thing to think about. You don't like to, to contemplate the fact that we're all going to die, and it's just not something that's talked about a lot in our culture. Uh, all of a sudden, here we are in a season where we're confronted with death on almost a daily basis. It's hard to open the newspaper without reading the next death toll and all that's going on. But how we understand death and what happens after changes everything about us. What God says about death changes everything. But Solomon is confronting death without the Lord in the picture in his mind. Now the problem is, I go back to a quote from, a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones who said this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Most of our problems are from listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Now, that may sound a little bit confusing, but basically what he's saying is that we have this stuff going on in our head, our minds, and it's talking, it's, it's speaking, and we're listening to things going on. But they're not things about God or his world. That was what was going on with Solomon. He was listening to all his thoughts, but they weren't about the right thing. Are you listening to yourself talk about this life and the experience of it rather than telling yourself the truths of God's Word and the realities of His Word? Like Solomon, we can end up hating our lives. People can. Verse 17, so he says, I hated my life. The word here, hater, means enemy. And he's basically saying, in a sense, I... He's at enmity with himself. In other words, his soul was sick. He was saddened, depressed, angry. It was, as verse 17 says, he was, it was grievous to him. The, the word there is translated evil, unhappy, unfortunate. He was soul sick. These things were grieving to his soul. Soul sickness, depression, anxiety. We all have to deal with it in different ways, especially during this time being at home alone or not being able to work or experiencing loss. Loss of social interaction, loss of recreation, loss of investments, all these different things. This can all lead to a soul sickness if you're listening to yourself. What do we then do with this? Can the, Lord, can the Lord help? Do you have faith to believe that the Lord can help with this? Is any of it addressed in God's Word? Well, Solomon's answer on a purely, purely human level was it's hopeless. It's a hopeless matter. If death is all there is, it's just futile. He is listening to himself instead of speaking truth to his soul. Jesus said these words. Here's some words to think about and to talk to yourself about. Jesus said he who seeks to save his life will lose it, right? But he who loses his life will find it. Lost simply gives us the opportunity to find life. How are you viewing 
How, what are you saying to yourself about these times we live in? Are you saying, well, what a great opportunity. I'm experiencing loss, therefore I can find life in this. Is that what we're saying to ourselves? Or are we listening to ourselves and just simply hearing over and over again, what am I going to do? What, what's going to come next? Oh God, I don't know. All that kind of soul talk. The solution, God says, is give up your life. What if, <laughs> what if you're already dead? As a believer in Jesus Christ, we take up our cross daily and follow him. What does the cross mean? Death. We are taking up death daily. We realize as believers, we say with Paul, we count it all as loss for the sake of gaining Christ. If your life is being taken from you, count it as loss for the sake of Christ. But now Solomon takes it further. COVID or civil unrest, or the economy, you may feel like they're taking their life from you, your life from you. But we need to forget what lies behind. But see, Solomon didn't do that. He actually went one step further. In verse 20, he gave himself over to soul sickness. Verse 20 uses those words exactly. He gave himself over. So he's listening to himself talk. He's listening to all the thoughts going on in his mind. He is not rearranging those thoughts according to God's word and speaking to himself the truth of God's word. He's just listening to what's going on in his head. And the Bible says he gives himself over to it. It's like a battle of constantly giving yourself to something. Either it will be to the Lord or it will be to the word of truth. Or it'll just be to your own emotions or desires. Now, if you've been doing that for a long time, it's not easy to fight this fight. To think of the right things. Biblical thinking. The truth instead of a lie. So what are you giving your heart to? If your heart is soul sick, it's indicative of something. What are you giving your heart to? Day by day, moment by moment. Solomon, in verse 20, despairs. He is void of hope. He gave his heart over. Even though he knew it was probably wrong, and we know it's wrong or bad, but we give ourselves over to the despair. In the same way he gave himself to pleasure, he gave himself over to despair wholeheartedly. In verse 15, he says, I said in my heart, heart it's all worthless he said it in his heart he's listening to himself speak his listening leads him to giving himself over to it let me ask you again what are you giving your heart over to do you see yourself as a victim things are happening that are out of your control in this case, Solomon is sinning against the Lord. Imagine, think of it. This guy, 
who came to the Lord when he first was made king. And God gave him a dream and said, ask for anything. And Solomon gave his heart to the Lord. He says, Lord, give me wisdom. This is what I need. I need wisdom, God. I need you, Lord. And he gives himself. And then all of a sudden, here he is. While later in his, I don't know how many years, maybe decades, but here he is later, soul sick, giving, having given himself over to the thoughts of this world and the challenges of this world, ending up being dominated by something other than the Lord. What are you giving yourself over to? Is it just the natural things of this world? Drugs, sex, drink, money, position, reputation, people-pleasing? Or is it inner things like depression or despair? <laughs> Solomon was doing all of the above. What are you giving yourselves over to? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's repentance. It's turning around, recognizing it as sin. This, this to me is the beauty of Christianity. Christianity doesn't start with, oh, well, we need to come in and we need to dissect your soul and we need to get in there and we need to understand every nuance of what's going on. And no, what you need to do, we recognize sin as believers. And we start at this point. If I am sinning, I'm going to repent. I'm going to change. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul says. But then he says this right after that, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. So in other words, he says, this is the answer to death. This is the answer to what we're talking about here. Fight the good fight of faith. Get your eyes focused on the right thing. The fact that we all have eternity to look forward to. We're all dying. Actually, we're already dead in Christ. Turn your heart back to God's Word. Humbly receive God's Word. Quit turning yourself over to your emotions or your intellect or your own thoughts. Instead, take your thoughts into captivity to Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take your thoughts captive to Christ. One of the things that verse does is tells you where the battleground lies so often in your life. Your thoughts. What are you doing with your thoughts? Are you listening to yourself? Or are you taking those thoughts captive into the truth of God's Word, into Christ Himself? Yeah, well, Paul says it's a battle. He's, the context of this is 2 Corinthians 10, 3, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. He has planted this verse captivating your thoughts directly in the middle of warfare language. Let God in His Word define who you are. It's like the psalmist in Psalm 62. The, psalm, the psalmist said this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? <laughs> What's he dealing with? He's soul sick. He's saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? But here's what the psalmist did. Instead of 
pondering. Oh, I'm soul sick. I've got so many things going on. I'm like, I need to meditate on these things and think about all the challenges and all of that stuff. Instead of that, he says, but put your hope in God. It's like, it's like the psalmist is struggling with these thoughts and he suddenly realizes, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm, I'm letting my mind get caught up on these things. I need to put them in the right place. I need to put my hope in God and God alone. That is my only hope in this situation. He says that in this brief, in a brief few verses, he says that three different times. For Solomon, this didn't just happen overnight. It happened over decades of giving himself over to sinful thoughts, sinful desires, little by little. You know, it, it happens that way for all of us, doesn't it? It happens that way. We, we just get caught up with these kinds of thoughts. And it starts small, but it grows into a huge thing going on in our hearts and in our lives. Let me challenge you today. Repent. Start thinking biblically. Start letting God and His Word define who you are instead of your own thinking or this world. The result was despair and sorrow for Solomon. <laughs> Verse 22 says, What has a man from all the toil and striving in his heart for which he toils under the sun for all his days are, listen to this, full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even, Solomon says this, even in the night his heart does not rest. Maybe you can relate to that. Unable to even sleep at night because you're so caught up with the things that are going on in your life. Caught up with the things of this world. Listen, I'm not saying it's a simple thing. Just repent, everything changes. No, repentance is a beginning point of changing the way you think. Changing the way you talk to yourself. It's the way out of soul sickness. What a lament this is. All my days are full of sorrow, Solomon says. This is the guy <laughs> that had it all and yet was full of sorrow because he couldn't get his eyes on the Lord, because he lost sight of God, because he lost his eternal perspective. Well, Solomon is in a pretty pathetic state. His days, he says, are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. He doesn't find joy in what he's doing. Even at night, he says, I can't calm my heart down. I can't even sleep at night because I've turned my heart over to something something that's destructive. So now we come to Solomon's final answer. Receiving something from the Lord. Receiving blessing from the Lord. Look at verse 24. There is nothing better for a person that, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have 
enjoyment. He's suddenly starting to get it. For the one who pleases God, pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Now, we looked at this verse, and even Ron mentioned it last week. We looked at this verse in the first message, and we mentioned that where it says there's nothing better, it should be better translated, there is nothing in a person. In other words, what Solomon is saying is there's nothing inherently in us that deserves any of God's blessing, and yet God has done something. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy of it, but God himself moves to give us joy. In other words, God's blessings don't happen because of something in us, but only rooted in God. Now, this is a surprising turn. I, I mean, if you think about it, everything Solomon's been talking about so far, and then suddenly, boom, everything turns in a moment like this. In fact, Martin Luther calls these verses the whole point of the book. The whole point of the book in these verses. This becomes a theme throughout this entire book. Going on to chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I perceive there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Chapter 3, verse 22, So I saw that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Verse, chapter 5, verse 18, Behold, what I have seen is to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the toil with which one toils under the sun. 8.15, and I commend joy. <laughs> I love the New Living Translation. It says, I commend having fun. <laughs> if you know me, you know I really, I gravitate to that. We're, he's got a message for us here. 9.7, go eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, Solomon here is just beginning to get a grip on something that's a New Testament reality. He's made this turn in his thinking. His mind has been brought under the control of the Holy Spirit once again. He's allowing his thoughts to come back to truth. All of this is meant to give us a craving for the only thing that can satisfy us, and that's God himself to show us we were made for another world. God alone, he's saying here, gives us the ability to enjoy this. Now, notice in these verses, there's two things happening. Number one, he's saying all of this is a gift from God. All of these things he's realizing, including our work, it's all a gift from God. Whatever possessions, whatever things you have, all of it is a gift from God. But then he goes on to say the second thing, and only God can give you the grace to enjoy it. Only God can do that. See, there are a lot of rich people out there in the world who have a lot of stuff. But unless you know Jesus Christ, unless you're committed your life to God, you end up just like Solomon, soul sick, unable to enjoy what you have. There are three gifts that are mentioned here. Three gifts that come from God. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Doug Wilson in his commentary calls joy the crowning gift 
that God gives. He said this, we are given the privilege of experiencing joy here in the midst of an ongoing disobedient and imbecilic chaos. <laughs> we are given the grace of God to live with joy. And let me say this, if you are not finding joy, if you're sitting there saying, that sounds good for you, but right now I'm not experiencing joy, then I think you must ask yourself the question, is God at the center of your life? Is the gospel at the center of your life? Not just one of those planets that kind of orbiting yourself world, but at the very center. Is it the sun of your solar system? If there is no joy, I question whether God is at the center. That's why David said, and I was interesting to find that Bill read this this morning. David said, in the presence, in your presence, there is a little bit of joy. Is that what he said? No. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures for at least the next few minutes. No. There are pleasures forevermore. What's the hallmark of wisdom? It's joy. As we realize and are tethered to it by this reality, the Lord is God and we are not. Our goal, he says in verse 26, is to please him. How do we please him? Well, faith. Faith in his son. Fighting the good fight of faith. Not having better self-esteem or job security or acceptance from, our, uh, uh, from friends or the praise of men. But faith in his finished work. Faith in the reality of the cross. Faith informed by grace. Not rooted or inherent, as the passage says, in us, but in the unrelenting love of God. When we receive our work and life's blessing as a gift from God and not as entitlements, we can experience true joy in God's gracious provision in your life. Pleasing God results in true wisdom, as he says here. We are, unfortunately, well, probably fortunately, we are not our, like artesian wells that just have this unending flow of goodness coming up out of us. We are unlike the Disney philosophy of the day where you just look within yourself to find what you need. It will never work. It'll never give you the purpose and meaning you want. You can follow your heart as much as you want, but eventually you'll sing along with U2's song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Koholeth, the preacher here, says the sinner works at gaining everything and getting things only to give it to the one who pleases God. The word sinner there is hamartia in the Greek Septuagint, the Greek word used to translate this. 
It's a Hebrew word, but the Greek word would be hamartia. It means to miss the mark. When you don't know what you're shooting at or shooting for, you will miss. (laughs) You will miss the point. To live life missing the point, amassing everything for yourself, is ultimately to lose it all. So what's the point? Well, what's the mark? Well, in Matthew 6, 25 through 33, Jesus starts in verse 25, say, first of all, don't be anxious. You're like a bird. Don't be anxious. Verse 26, you're like a bird. God feeds them. Chill out. God loves you far more than a bird. Verse 28, consider the lilies. God clothes them. He even says there, even Solomon in all his glory is not like one of these. So what did he say is the point? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be granted to you. This, this is the New Testament point of Solomon's journey. You want joy? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you to you. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 basically says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He goes on to say, set your mind. (laughs) You got that? Listen to what Paul is saying. This is New Testament now. Set your mind, your thoughts, on things above, not on things on earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. What if you were just dead already? (laughs) Would any of the rest of this stuff really matter? You're just dead. You're dead to this world. You're dead to all the things going on around you because you set your mind on things above you recognize i am dead i have died with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives within me you are fighting the good fight of faith there is no mistaking what paul is doing in both of these different verses that i've used he's setting it in a warfare mode fight the good fight of faith take thoughts captive So as we conclude today, we saw in the last message, Solomon went on a journey to find happiness and he couldn't find it. Massed riches, accumulated things, fame, he found that in himself none of it had any meaning. Our dissatisfaction with this life should point us back to the Lord. That's why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. It's simply pointing us back to God. It doesn't reveal our dissatisfaction just to leave us depressed and discouraged, but to reveal that there's only meaning when God is in the equation. Riken said this, We were made for another world. There is a God in heaven who sent his Son to save us, and then 
to satisfy it. We're to enjoy all things for the glory of God, not to be consumed on our own lusts. We're to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus bought for us on the cross. And when we do that, everything else will be added to us. In all these things, God's purpose is actually to bring us more pleasure, not less. More pleasure, not less. That's what his goal is in all of us. He knows that we can use all these things destructively. And so he teaches us for our best. These things are gifts from him. Things to enjoy in this very, at times, unenjoyable world. Ultimately, in all this, he wants us to find our satisfaction in him, to fight the good fight of faith. Start speaking the truth of God's word into our hearts instead of giving ourselves over to despair, to seek the kingdom first in the now of God's will in your life and enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> Take joy. If you go to work and you're going in there and like, oh, here we go again. Just stop, grab a hold of yourself by the nap of your neck and say, no, I can, I can joy in what I'm doing here because of what God has done in my heart. Do all your work and living in the context of the wisdom and knowledge and do it with joy. Fight the good fight of faith. It pleases God. It results in true wisdom, knowledge, and joy in all that we do. Now let me give you a homework assignment. How's this for ending? I want to give you a homework assignment for those of you willing to do this. Memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Be one of the better things you ever did. Memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Write it down. Remind yourself during the week in fact, Jesenia, wherever you are, I, I bet you she's already doing this. We'll get an email ready. We'll get a text ready and send it out. Remember, memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And then practice setting your mind on Christ and his kingdom. Practice the reality that you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to sit and enjoy your grace. Father, we're a blessed people. Lord, in spite of anything that's going on, you have given us wisdom, knowledge, joy in what we do. But Lord, we'll recognize that we can often be soul sick and we can often let our minds go in different directions and cause that joy to dissipate. Father, help us today. Help us to bring you glory in how we think, in how we battle, in how we fight the good fight of faith, in our desire to please you with our lives knowing that as we do that, you give us grace 
as we seek the kingdom, you bring all things to us. So as our benediction today, I'm going to read something different, so don't bother to put it up there. I'm going to read this passage again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, we also shall appear with him in glory. God bless you. Have a wonderful day as you apply the truth of God's word to your life this week. Thank you for being here. God bless. If I could just remind you as we leave today that, uh, that we move out of the auditorium, keep those face masks on, move outside where you can fellowship to your heart's content.